My name is Daniel. I am uh, the lead pastor here. Thank you guys so much for being here. If you have Bibles, please turn to Luke chapter 11. It's page 1029 in the Red Pew Bible. As you are flipping there, we began a new sermon series that we are calling People Together with God. Before we dive into the togetherness aspect, last week went through a whole kind of survey of scripture that looked at the importance of God's people being with him and how sin separated that. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, uh, please do. But before we go into um, uh, different uh, sections of scripture that are specific to how important Christian community is, you know, the Lord really just uh, opened my eyes as, like, as I was planning for those sermons. He said, you know, you're missing a, a really crucial piece that's even there in the title of this sermon series, which is with God, people together with God. Um, one of my favorite authors, um, I, I've been reading a little bit of this book this week again um, from a, a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He, he talked about um, as he himself was leading an underground church in the midst of persecution in Nazi Germany, he wrote a book about, about Christian community, which he said, Christian community, friendship, uh, uh, f familiar relations inside of the church between God's people can only happen in Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ, which means if you as individuals are not cultivating your own love and relationship with Jesus Christ himself, when you come with his people, something is going to be missing and lacking in the community that takes place within these four walls. So we're going to spend about four weeks looking at what it means to be with God, knowing that could be uh, so many different sermons and the topic is so vast. But um, the first step in this with God that we're going to be looking at this morning is prayer. It's perhaps one of the most basic first steps of our uh, uh, togetherness with God is prayer. It's a complex topic, topic. Um, but I think we can look at prayer as a lifeline. If you, if you go to my office, I have a little 8 by 10 painting of Winslow Homer's uh, art called The Lifeline. It's in the Philadelphia Museum of Art. I actually went and, and saw it in person once. It's a picture of someone being rescued from raging ocean waters. Just big waves are crashing, and it shows a line, a cable that is strung across, um, and it shows a lifeguard holding somebody who was limp, who he just pulled out of the waters, and he is carrying them to safety. And it's in my office to remind me that, yes, I am a pastor, and sometimes uh, uh, in my role, if, you, if I'm not careful, I can look at myself and think, well, I'm that guy pulling people up from the ocean, right? That's what a pastor does. And actually, the answer is, well, I am actually just like everyone else, which is I'm the guy that needs to be pulled out of the water too. And that God is the one who saved me and is picking me up. And what is the lifeline that that relationship is cultivated on? It is that cable. It is what they're hanging on, right? Prayer is that very lifeline which brings us out of the raging waters of our life where God scoops us up and carries us back to himself. I need that reminder constantly, and that's why I put it in my office. 
But yet prayer is not a clear-cut black and white operation. As we engage the God of all things, the God who is infinitely and wholly other, nothing is like God in this world, in the grandness of the universe, the God who spun all things into existence as we pray, we, there's often a certain expectation that how, uh, we should have this expectation at least, that how he responds and how he acts, it just may defy our own expectations. Even as the one whose goodness is never changing, that never alters, he is so much bigger than us. And as he intervenes and responds to our prayers, my, my question for you this morning is, are you willing to actually let him do so? And, and just let your expectations be how he chooses to respond other than your own. And this is kind of the, the really this is the meat and potatoes of, of the struggle and the tension that prayer brings. Uh, Paul Miller in his book, A Praying Life, he shares a very personal family story on the topic of prayer. He has six children. One of his children was born with uh, sev- severe autism, so bad that she couldn't even speak. She was essentially mute, couldn't even speak. And on a camping trip with all of his children, minus Kim, his daughter who was unable to speak, uh, they're, they're out and about, they're camping, and one of his other daughters drops her contact lens on the campsite. And she really needs them to see. So it's a little stressful. How are we going to enjoy camping if I can't see, right? So Miller, who is in full-time ministry, um, he, he's looking and he says, well, Kim, you know, let's stop and let's pray. There's nothing too small for God, so let's pray that he'll help us find the contact lens. And her response was, what's the use of praying? I've been praying for my whole life for my sister Kim to speak, and she hasn't. And Miller, being in full-time ministry, right, he knows this tension. But the question would be, how would you respond to that? Because maybe you're sitting here thinking, yeah, I have that prayer too in my life that I've just constantly prayed over and over. I've sat with people who, you know, it's like, I need you to pray for this. Well, how often have you prayed for it? Hundreds of times for years. And maybe some of you are like, yeah, I have that prayer too. And maybe you're exasperated by that prayer because you're like, I don't know, again, really? Like I've done it so many times in my again, praying for this again. And he sensed that in his daughter that morning. How would you respond if somebody asked you that question? Because many of our prayers seem to go silent as if the skies, as Moses said, were brass above us. And we feel like, is, is God actually ignoring our prayers? Is he choosing not to respond? I mean, look at the Psalms. There's so many Psalms of this kind of groanings of just God, this is rough. Where are you? You said you would be with me. I'm not seeing you. Where are you? Yet in such desperate needs in life, in such obvious places where we experience the the fullness of our desperation, when we realize that indeed in those moments like there's something that we actually cannot fix on our own, that maybe even exhausted your own efforts, like I just don't know. I don't know what to do. Regardless if you're a Christian or not, prayer seems to be a pretty natural human impulse to cry out for somebody, something, some force, right? Even for the non-religious on the outside that says, surely somebody can help me here. 
because I, I can't help myself and I, I can't fix this. I need help. Prayer brings you before God. It forces you to consider yourself before God. We'll talk a lot about that this morning. It provides an opportunity for you to bear your soul before him. It often bursts apart the the dam of emotion and pain in our life and allows the floodwaters to open up before him. It ushers us close in his presence. It invites us to perhaps consider our own lives, our own situations and needs from his perspective rather than our finite one. And it invites humility in our lives to admit you can't do this alone. And it invites his work and his movement into our lives just as confusing as that sometimes and often is. Yet prayer and its results are reflective of the will of God, even if they appear appear as unpredictable and confusing. I like to consider prayer as like a wrestling mat, right? That God actually gave us a wrestling mat that says, you know, are you struggling? Let's let's grapple it out. Come on, let's go. Like don't don't just, you know, walk away from this tension in you. Like, let's go, let's let's wrestle this out. I mean, Jacob at one point like God actually grappled with him until Jacob finally understood, you know, how to think and consider his own situation and circumstances, his own sin. God wrestled it out with him. And that's prayer is our wrestling mat where we get to wrestle with God. And I'm telling you, if we learn to cultivate that wrestling, if we, if we practice at wrestling with him, if we go at him constantly, I'm telling you, once you're off that mat, you are going to be different. You are going to be changed just like Jacob was. So today's passage is in Luke 11, 1 through 13. This morning we're going to look at two things, the content of our prayers, what should fill our prayers when we pray, and the expectations of response from prayer. Let's dive in if we can. This is a word of the Lord beginning in chapter 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Verse 1, we see, what was Jesus known for, is an expert on? Prayer. They saw him do it all the time, right? And they realized, this guy's a master at his craft. I want to learn how to pray. Teach me how to pray. Have you ever seen somebody that's just an absolute master at something? Just absolutely, like last night, confession, I was at a concert. I know, right? But it was a, involved some of the world's greatest, like without exaggeration, some of the world's greatest bass players because bass playing was, still is a piece of my heart, right? Um, but I got a chance the first time since I was 15 years old wanting to see this, this guy, Victor Wooten is his name, and one of, he's one of the world's greatest bass players, and I got to see him last night. He's almost in his 60s at this point. But watching somebody that is just an absolute master at their craft, it, it kind of leaves you in awe, right, to see the possibilities of something that you think you can kind of do, but when you see an expert, you're like, wow, that's possible? If only I could sit and be taught by you, right? And this is kind of where Jesus is at. The disciples are like, we really want to know how to pray like that, Jesus. Like, how do you do that? Show us, teach us, tell us, like sit with us. Can you please kind of walk us through this, Lord? 
And so he does. This is Luke's Lord's Prayer. Matthew, the one that we find in the Gospel of Matthew, we're all pretty familiar with. Uh, even people who are, are not in church on Sundays often probably know the Lord's Prayer. Luke's version is a little bit smaller and more succinct, but this is Jesus' response to equipping his disciples to pray. Beginning of verse 2, he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. So let's, let's walk through this, guys, this morning. Let's look at this. Um, begin with, Jesus does say, when you pray, say, okay, so just to back up for a minute, he's not saying every single time you pray, quote these words verbatim, and that's all you get to pray forever and ever. That's, don't take this too literally, okay? It's a good thing to pray. Like, pray the Lord's Prayer, memorize it, keep it on tap. I mean, as you're going to see, it's, this is incredibly rich stuff here. It's a good prayer to pray, but he's not saying let it be your only prayer. But the content and what fills this prayer, I believe, should be what guides our prayers as we engage the God of all things. So let's look at this. He, Jesus begins with addressing God as Father. This is basically a reference to that, that Aramaic word, the Abba, which is pretty close, not quite Daddy, but it's basically like when you're 10 and not quite seven and you call your dad, dad now instead of daddy. Remember that transition in your life when that happened? Where dad wasn't daddy anymore, but now he was just dad. Um, there's still an intimacy there. There's still a little bit of a maturity, but still like a, a, a closeness of relationship to where he's, he's not just a distant father. He's, he's your dad, right? The, the name, it just implies accessibility. A dad who is close. A dad who is available. And as we, as we wrestle with this, we get, we got to define, uh, let God to define what it means to be our dad. But I want to just briefly here, just ask the fathers in this room, as we look at this term, dad, as Jesus is teaching us, God is accessible. Dads in this room, are you accessible to your children? Are you accessible? Because men are often known for being those emotional, just hard places that are just hard to, to penetrate. I don't know why God gave me uh, very sensitive emotions. Like, I'm the guy who watched a movie. It's like, Dad, why are you looking away? It's like, I don't know. Like, it's just me. I don't know. It's just, I, I probably have more tears than my wife when it comes to things. I, I definitely do when it comes to things like, 100%. I don't know why I'm like that. God gave me that. Um, Many men in here are just like, I haven't cried in 20 years, you know. Um, men, are you accessible for your children? There's something instructive in that for you. But as we move on, um, the disciples all are calling God their dad. There's a little piece here that Jesus is saying, he's all your dad. Like all of you are together in this. Like he, he is a shared father here. He's a shared dad from all of you. So all of you are kind of in this prayer thing together. So it's another hint that prayer can't be only something isolated in your room, but we all share the same dad. We all share the same God. And so as you pray, consider that. Consider the power of even being with others as you approach God, your daddy. 
So as we continue on, he says, Father, Dad, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Now, you know, it's interesting because uh, hallowed is, is uh, guaranteed not a word you used last week. I promise you, probably at least, none of you in this room saw something you said, how hallowed is that? Like, it's just not part of our English vocabulary, Okay. It was hundreds of years ago, you know, King James. There's a lot of wine. This is translated hallowed in most translations because we know that prayers, hallowed be thy name, you know. Um, we like to speak King James in those more holy moments when we quote things like this. But the, the word itself means, it, it means set apart. It means uh, uh, transcendent. It means here's everything over here, but God is hallowed. Like he, he's actually different from that. He's set apart from that. And it's fascinating because Jesus throws them both together. God is your dad. He's wholly accessible, but he is so set apart from everything. So he is both transcendent above all, yet so close as to be your dad. And it's like a, 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 a paradox of sorts. How can he be so transcendent and separate from all yet so accessible? And this is, you know, I heard it once say that, you know, if you really spend time thinking about these things, it's like you've ever been fishing and you catch a little rainbow fish or something, right? And, and you know how slimy those things are and you have it in your hand. What happens if you just grip a little too tight? Thing slips right out. This is God for us, Right? If we try to bear down a little too tightly, as if we kind of fully understand how he works and how he's so transcendent and set apart of a ball, but, but so yet close and accessible as our dad, he's going to just slip right out of our hands. He is so much bigger than our minds often can comprehend. Let these tensions just sit there. He is above all things. Listen to these verses in Psalm 97, 9. For you, O Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all. All gods, or so-called gods, right? Psalm 97, 9. But yet we also read in Deuteronomy 10, to the Lord your God belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens, and on the earth and everything in it. That is his hallowedness, right? He is set apart, yet the Lord has set his affection on you and your forefathers, and he chose you and their descendants above all the nations as it is today as he spoke to his people. Yes, God is above all things, but he loves you and he knows you. Do you see God in this way? Is your view of God that big? Have you ever, when's the last time you actually stopped and just kind of set in awe of these truths that he is so set apart, but yet so close by? These things should invoke feelings of worship, of awe, of humility, of wonder, and it really just takes time sitting and just pondering and thinking and praying for God to help open your eyes to these complex truths. But who knew it that, you know, so we're not even of one part here. I mean, there's so much here in the Lord's Prayer, so we got to keep. So the next part of, of Daddy being so f- transcendent but yet imminent, he says, your kingdom come. This is recognition and this prayer that God is king and that he rules and that he reigns and that we need his kingdom to show up. We need our dad's kingdom to be here. This covers the beginning of our prayers, right? This is a recognition that the world needs a fullness of his kingdom. This is indeed part of the good news of Christianity, that one day he is coming. 
to rule and to reign, to set up a kingdom that is perfect in justice, perfect in holiness, that is without stain in its governance in this world, that he is coming one day to fully overthrow death itself and to restore things to a perfect shalom to how they were intended to be at the beginning of creation. He says, yes, Lord, let that come. Even a glimpse of that now, because this is, this is actually present language. It's, if you look into the original, the tense is like now, like today. Can you give a glimpse of that today? Yes, it's gonna happen one day, but a little bit of that today, Lord, that's included here in this prayer. So at the very beginning, right, the most basic things we're finding in this Jesus prayer, and this, in this, the Lord's prayer as we call it, is that at the beginning of our prayers, where are our eyes focused entirely so far? God. The beginning of this prayer says, this whole praying thing is about our eyes situated on God. Before any needs are expressed in our prayers, our eyes are before God. We are reminded of who he is and all these wonderful truths we've seen. And as we are reminded of that, we're also reminded of who we aren't, right? We're reminded that, oh yeah, I, I'm not God. I'm not in control of things. Oh yeah, he is hallowed. Oh yeah, he is. He does, he's my dad. He loves me, right? John Calvin, a, a great theologian of the church, once said this. He said, anyone who stands before God to pray must first abandon thoughts of their own glory, <laughs> right? That's kind of the idea here. Just abandon it. Like, you're, you're nothing before God, and that's quite comfortable, right? It's actually relieving, you may think you're a big deal, but then you're before the God of the universe, you're like, I, I, I actually know. And it feels good, actually, to feel small before God. It feels good to be in that place. And Jesus wants us to be there before we even express any needs, right? This is truly up against the spirit of the modern age that says, you know, all eyes on yourself. How are you feeling? You know, uh, how, are you, how are you responding to your own feelings? And that, that is what dictates you. That is your master, you know, uh, where you are now. And, and, and Jesus is saying, actually, where you need to begin is to get outside of yourself. Like, get outside of those things. Take your eyes off of yourself and launch them onto the God of all things. Y your hope is set on him. That's where our prayers begin. Psalm 42, he, he, he says this very clearly. This is David. He says, why are you downcast, O my soul? He's looking at his own heart. He's like, I, I'm in a rough spot. I'm downcast. Why are you? Why is there turmoil within me? Psalm 42, verse 5. But then he says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. His eyes are lifted up. And he says, yes, there's turmoil. But God, you are my hope, not me. I can't fix this turmoil on my own. God, you are my hope and my salvation and my God. This hope continues on and it undergirds the rest of this prayer in verse three. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us of our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. These are needs. This, this is a needy prayer, Right? We're needy people. These are more statements that we're not sufficient in ourselves. We are not sovereign as people. We are needy people. The three needs mentioned here, right? Needs of provision, needs of forgiveness, and needs of protection. Daily bread, we need food. 
right? Every single day we need food. My children need it like six times a day, eight times a day. They need a lot of food. Forgiveness of sins. We need a lot of forgiveness of our sins. Amen? And we need protection from temptation because there's an enemy after us. Think of how vulnerable we are as people here. There's this beautiful piece of artwork created uh, in 2016 by a guy named Sun, Sun Wan and, and Ping Yu. I'm probably pronouncing that completely incorrectly. But they created a, this stunning piece of art. It was called Can't Help Myself. Maybe you've seen this it was circulating online not that long ago. It was a hydraulic robot in this glass case, this big arm. And in the bottom, his hydraulic fluid was leaking continually. And this arm would go up and just scrape the fluid back to survive, and yet it would leak out once again. And it was just a constant, constant go of just trying to keep the oil within so it, the robot would not just seize up, but it would just continue to leak out. And the thing, it just looked, it was just, it's anxious to look at because it's constantly just trying to keep itself alive. And that was the idea of the art was to show our desperation Right, Some people are in desperate spots that feel like they're just constantly trying to, to keep themselves together and it's just a never-ending scrape for survival. And you watch that, you feel a tinge of sadness. Eventually the robot, the whole thing fell apart because it didn't actually survive and it, was, well, it wasn't meant to happen, but it did. But You read these things and you realize like, that is kind of our human state. Like we're, I'm constantly, like we're always... There's nothing that we have that is just always provides us permanent sustenance. Like every, we need sleep every day, we need food, and we need water every day. There's so many needs in life. We're just, it, we can't just sit down and we'll, we'll just shrivel up without taking care of ourselves. But yet there's this, this constant emptiness inside, this void that's just, we're always working to keep ourselves together. We need bread, we need forgiveness, we need protection from, the, from temptation. And a part of me says that's good to be aware of that. It's good to embrace our weaknesses and our neediness before God. Because the more we embrace our neediness before God, we are inviting God more into our life to fill that neediness. That we can't scrape that oil back to ourselves and, and assume that we can actually save ourselves. Because God entered in and scooped up all that stuff that was just coming out of us and said, I'm going to fix this because you can't. And he did. And in this prayer, Jesus is saying, please be reminded that you are needy before him. That you need him. Be reminded. Friends, we are weak. And that is okay. So that was a content guide, okay? That was the content of prayer. We're going to move on to expectations. Okay, so now we have a basic idea of, you know, the basic content of praying. We finished praying now, but what happens? Okay, you bring a knee before God, you know, you, you pray to him now, what should we expect? And Jesus uh, answers that beginning in verse five. He says, then he said to them, this is all connected thoughts, suppose one of you has a friend, he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine is on a journey. And he has come to me, I have nothing to set before him. The one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. But I tell you, though he will not get up and give him bread because he is a friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he 
needs. This is a little parable of sorts, very exaggerated, right? Um, but in, in ancient Eastern Rome, um, it's hard to read this without, you know, hospitality is a major deal, even today in, in countries in the East. And so if you were reading this as, as a person alive in Jesus' day, you would have thought like, well, yeah, like if somebody knocks on my door at midnight, the need must be really great. Like, yeah, I'll get up. I may not be happy with the guy, but yeah, it's, uh, it's hospitality. I got to respond to this, of course. I'm going to get up and I'll drag myself out of bed to help. The, the closest I can get to this is, and today, is if you get a phone call from your neighbor at midnight and say they're in the hospital and they're desperate need of something at their house. Are you going to get that phone call and be like, nah. No. You'll drag yourself out of bed and help them because this feels like an emergency. And it's like, well, yeah, I want to bring something to you. I'll, I'll do that, of course. You made the trouble to call me at midnight. It means you must really need it. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go. This is, of course, referring to us praying and knocking on God's door, if you will, and being willing to do this and being willing to have the boldness to do this and continually to do this and saying, if a regular old guy like that will respond and he will get up and go help, what do you think God's gonna do? How much more will he that's the tone of this parable. And it's shown in the next verse. Jesus says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. For which of your fathers, if a son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. That's actually kind of funny, like of all things, kind of an egg dad, no, a scorpion. Like this, Jesus, sometimes he's actually funny. That was like a little joke from Jesus. It's kind of funny. Verse 13. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? As Jesus said these words, as Luke wrote them down, he wanted us to consider the expectations of prayer. Jesus simply says, ask. It's going to be given. Seek. You will find. Knock. And the door is going to be open. Everyone who asks, seeks, knocks, they will receive what they are looking for. I mean, these are big words from Jesus. I want you to really soak that in. Everyone who seeks and asks and knocks are going to find what they're looking for. As much as a good dad wouldn't give his son a snake if he asked for a fish or a scorpion instead of an egg, it's crazy. It's like, of course not. If you won't do that, how much more will God give you what you are seeking? But wait, is this a blank check from God? says, well, sweet, I get to ask for anything. There's some preachers on TV that will tell you yes. If you send them a check, then yeah, God will give you anything you want, right? We've seen those people on TV. Peter pop off with a holy hanky thing. I guess you get his mail sometimes. These aren't a blank check, right? Because Jesus has already told us the things that we're seeking, Right? He just told us. He literally just told us the things we're supposed to be seeking. We're seeking God. We're seeking to see him and know him and understand him. We're seeking our provisions for the day. We're seeking forgiveness of our sins. 
We're seeking spiritual protection against the enemy. Ultimately, if you look at also the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, we're seeking the will of God to be done and what we are presenting to him, right? And Luke ends this whole thing saying, you know, if parents know how to give good gifts to their children, don't you think their dad will give us his Holy Spirit, right? And he sums up the answer of all of God's responses to our prayer to say, he's going to just lavish the Holy Spirit on you. Like he, he wants to do this. And that's going to be the summary of his response to you, is to give you his Spirit, is to give you himself. That's the summary of his response in our prayers. At, at the beginning of our time, we mentioned the story from from Paul Miller about his daughter's struggles with prayer when she lost her contact lens and she, you know, uh, said, I, why pray? I've been praying, you know, for my sister to speak. And um, the story continues with her father when he, he didn't quite know how to respond. But he, he had that little notion, right, from Scripture that says, of what we just saw, the, the, the get up and keep knocking kind of thing. Like, are you going to be so bold as to keep praying? Are you going to be so bold as to act on the promises here that he will respond, even with the tension and confusion that that leads? And so instead of just letting his daughter kind of shut things down, he says, we're going to pray anyway. And lo and behold, what do they find? Two minutes later, amidst all the thousands of leaves and twigs on the ground, a crystal clear contact lens that just blends in with everything, they found it, right? Just a minute or so later. I share this um, because Jesus says here that God will respond with good gifts through his spirit. I'm going to call up Joel as he's in this room right now at this time. I believe that we struggle with prayer. We struggle with this because there's so many questions like I left unanswered, right? I still have unanswered questions. Can be honest? Like I read this and I'm like, that sounds awesome, Jesus. Like that's some of the best news possible is, is what I just read. Like, I ask and I will receive. This is, this is amazing news, but Jesus, the, here's my honesty, is that's often not quite my experience. Sometimes it is, and the contact lens. There's sometimes little things happen. You're like, wow, this is amazing, right? And he really does respond in just amazing ways. And sometimes he seems to not. What do we do with that tension there? As we have seen both this morning, the content and expectations of prayer, I think there's two things that we can respond with this morning. Never, ever put God in your own box of expectations. This is why the Lord's Prayer begins with reminding you of who he is, of who you're actually praying to, the God of all things. We need to situate ourselves before God as we pray because we often come to God in prayer already having resolved in our mind exactly how he needs to respond. And so we're just saying, God, can you do that thing that I know you need to do right now? Then we walk away confused like he didn't do it. I don't get it, God. I'm mad. Where are you? You know, Jesus had that experience in the garden against enemy. Lord, is there a different way of the suffering in front of me? Is there like another way, maybe, God? But what did he say, though? What did he say? Your will be done. 
It's okay to struggle. Like Jesus struggled in the Garden of Gethsemane. He, he, there was tension. He was like, God, I, I'm a human being here. Like he was fully God, fully man. I actually, I don't want to str- suffer here. This is going to be really hard. But Lord, your will before mine, that's what I'm asking for. That's ultimately what I'm seeking And don't forget that even accepting the will of God for his life left him on the cross crying out, God, why have you forsaken me? Because it surely feels like you've turned your back. When all the weight of the sins in the world were on his shoulders, yes, God, his precious heavenly father had to look away. But let God's will be done was his prayer. But it doesn't end there because that would be a a lousy way for the story to end because he was brought back from the dead, which is a permanent promise given to us that says even if the situation looks dire and looks hopeless and you feel like, yes, maybe God has abandoned me in my prayer, look at the resurrection and say a man walked out of the tomb. There is hope in our prayers. There is a sealed promise with the resurrection that says he is coming to renew all things. There's no guarantees that your life is gonna be easy or smooth, but there is a guarantee that he will renew all things and that he will respond to your prayers. And so what I'm encouraging you to do this morning, in just a moment here, is to uh, say, God, your will be done and not mind. So I'm do something a little different this morning. Can I ask everybody who is able at least to, to please stand? We're not going to have an ending song this morning. Joel is going to play some guitar behind us and I'm going to call up um, our elders and I've asked a couple other people to be available for prayer. So if you guys can come forward. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask this of you guys. I want you to stand and I want you to hold out your hands. Open up. And as you do so, I, I, I pray that your hands are out as, a, as an ex- outward expression of where your heart is. That, that you're standing here with a willingness to say, God, I, I, I'm open. I, I want you to come here on me. If, if you heard anything, and maybe as you hold out your hands, you're one of the people in this room that says, yes, I have that never-ending prayer that I'm exhausted and exasperated by, that I've been making forever and ever and ever, and I don't know what to do with it, but I, I kind of want to keep praying, but I feel a little hopeless. Lord, I pray for that, those people in this room right now as their hands are open. Lord, will they receive hope from you even now in the confusion and the feelings that they are feeling with that prayer. Lord, would you show them and speak to them now? Would you give them hope? Some of you now with hands outstretched have stale hearts towards God, that you have walls built up, that you have grown comfortable with, places in your heart that you've kept God out of. Perhaps sin is present, and as Jesus said, you need to, to, to seek forgiveness this morning. I pray for those people, Lord. Grant them forgiveness. May they know that they're forgiven and loved. Some of you are in healing, in need of healing this morning, spiritual healing, physical, emotional, spiritual. 
Maybe you're too shy to admit it. If you're anywhere on that spectrum or just somewhere else, I want to ask something boldly that you would come forward, even right now, to be prayed for. If that's you in this room, that you would have the, the willingness and the boldness to walk forward down the aisle to come and receive prayer this morning. Joel's going to be praying. or playing behind us. Jesus, if there's anyone in this room right now, on the balcony or down here, Lord, that is just, they're stirring in their hearts of a neediness towards you. Lord, I pray that they would come forward and be prayed for, Lord, to be ministered to, that healing could be, could be found this morning, healing could be seen this morning, healing could be received by those who are needy, Lord, that you would be the God who restores this morning. You would be the God who, who builds up, the God who removes those, those dams in us that, that we would just be able to have an outflow of hope and of joy and of rejoicing in you that, that once again, Lord, you have shown up in our lives to, to, to show us that you are hearing us, that you are responding to us, that you love us. Lord, open up the hearts of your people in this room this morning, Jesus. We love you, Lord. As your name we pray, amen. If you're in need of prayer, please come forward. We're ending our service here with just a spirit of prayer in this room. If you need to sit and just pray on your own, please sit and just pray. And um, we really are thankful that you were here this morning. Uh, go in peace. And we'll see you guys next week.